Football on the Sports Social Podcast Network is brought to you by BetVictor, where new signings are guaranteed a great debut. Join and choose your welcome offer at betvictor.com. 18 plus, begambleaware.org. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away. Specifically, the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Hi, everyone. What's up? Chelsea fans, I hope you're all feeling good. This is Xavier Mbuyamba, and you're listening to the Blue Day Podcast. Enjoy. Hello Chelsea supporters, here at the Blue Day podcast, I am delighted to welcome this individual on the podcast today. He made 132 appearances for the club, scoring 29 goals. Plus, he was part of the Chelsea team that won promotion to the first division in 1977. Here is Kenny Swain. Kenny, welcome to the Blue Day podcast. How are you? Brilliant, Keith. Thank you. And a uh, pleasure to be here and a pleasure to be sharing um you know, sometimes with, uh, with with Chelsea supporters. Kenny, honestly, the pleasure is all mine. Kenny, I want to sort of start off like I have done with my other interviews by sort of taking us back to the start of your footballing journey. And who were your influences growing up as a kid wanting to become a professional footballer? Um, when, when I look back, I, th- I think it was around about the age of four or five, I was kicking a ball around. And I think I probably fell in love with the game when I was about six, maybe seven. And uh, here I am now, and I'm still in love with the game. <laughs> um, but at the time, uh, Everton were my were my team because on you know on Merseyside in those days, you know Everton with the uh, with the big club, Liverpool were uh, you know some way behind, and. You know the the gates at Goodison in those days, you know sixty five, sixty eight thousand, and you know. Liverpool would would fill their stadium as well because you know football's always been crazy in Liverpool, but they'd be getting forty one thousand, forty two thousand. But Everton were the big club, and of course they made the the bigger impression on me. And I followed them really from about fourteen years of age. Although I remember my dad taking me to uh, to a reserve game one night, and I must have been about eight years of age, and walking up the um, you know the steps towards the terraces and then you, you get onto the terraces. This is an evening game now at Goodison. And I remember as I was climbing the steps there, the, the light was getting brighter and brighter and brighter. It was a floodlit game. And of course, when I, when I got out and I saw the colour, the colour of this green beige, it was like a great big billiard table and the lights were shining down, you know, white, bright lights. And then Everton came out in their blue and white strip and I can't remember who they were playing. The three and I was just besotted. And so um, I think that was really when I, f- I really fell in love with the football and wanting to play and do all that. 
which it which it did from about eight or nine years of age, and you know did all the schoolboy stuff. You know, at secondary school, played for the school team regular, played for the uh, district and the and the county, um, and actually joined Bolton Wanderers as a as a schoolboy, aged fourteen, fifteen. But when it came to offering like apprenticeship time, uh, terms in those days, they they didn't offer one to me. There was three of us actually from Kirby Kirby Boys team, and um, I, I was at I was at uh, Bolton Wanderers. Funnily enough, Terry McDermott went to Bury before he joined Liverpool, and Dennis Mortimer joined Coventry City. So between the three of us, you know, the same age, the same year group, I think we've knocked up something like near two thousand games between us. And if you, uh, I suppose, if you line up some of the silverwares, well, mind you, I have to say Terry McDermott's got more than <laughs> any of us put together <laughs> at the times he had at Liverpool. Um, but uh, you know th- that was wonderful. That and um, I'd I'd stayed on at school actually. I, once I wasn't offered a contract, not a contract, but a, uh, an apprenticeship, football apprenticeship. I stayed on at school, got on with my studies, got myself uh, eight GCSEs two A-levels and decided that's it. I'm, go- I'm going to go to college and do PE. Hmm. I wanted to be a PE teacher at that point. So I left Liverpool at 18, went to um, a college in Egham in Surrey. And that for me was probably uh, the moment I-, I knew I'd left home, if you like. Um, having travelled down there and lived there for the next three years. And in my final year at college, I played for Wickham Wanderers um, I was just fortunate that I was playing for the southeast of England against the southwest of England in what was uh, Lokes Park. That was the, the, old, the old ground at uh, Wickham. And the manager happened to be watching the game and he, he, he encouraged me to come back and play a few games for them, which I did. Um, but I was ready to take a teaching post. I think it was in Acton, actually, West London. I was ready to take a teaching post in the September. But I went back to uh, Liverpool, went back home for the summer. And in that time, I'd, I'd got a letter from the club saying they'd see me play. Um, it was Dario Gradi, actually, and he said uh, he went, he'd been to college. He went to Loughborough somewhere. And he said, uh, it'd be a good good experience for you to come down to uh, Mitchum, you know, the old training ground. Uh, met Dave Sexton, trained for about a week, 10 days. And, um, you know, at the end of that time, he, <laughs> he offered us a contract, like a two-year contract. And I thought, blimey, what do we do? Because... I start teaching in a month's time, but um, you know, between them, they said, uh, you know, you don't get these opportunities too often. So that was it in terms of history. You know, playing uh, or getting my first contract at Chelsea, and and ending up doing what five and a half years, five and a half seasons there. Great start for my career. <laughs> I was I was just about to say, you know, when you received that letter that Chelsea were looking to sign you. What was going through your mind at that point? Because, again, as you say, well, that, that doesn't happen very often. Well, there was no realisation of anything, you know, what, what I had or what I didn't have until I played non-league football. And even then, it was I was comfortable playing it with grown men, <laughs> as I saw it. You know, I was a, I was a, uh, a young sprog and, you, you know, you, you're playing with grown men who are, you know, scratching down for their bonus and for their win bonus and all the rest of it. But after about five or six games, which I found quite comfortable, um, you know, the, the thought or the prospect of uh, going down to Chelsea, you know, Stamford Bridge and, you know, training there for a, you know, couple of, com- coming out pre-season with us, you know, for a month. And I'm thinking, wow, 
what's all this about? You know, they're my second team as well, Chelsea. God, I'll be seeing, you know, Peter Osgood, Tommy Baldwin, you know, Ronnie Harris, you know, Mickey Troy. You'd be seeing all these players. And um, you know, I remember my first day there walking in with like a, I think I had a Safeway bag, which was a, a supermarket chain. I don't, know if, <laughs> I don't know if people remember that. But I walked in with a Safeway bag and I remember Dario or somebody saying to me, you, you can't walk, you can't come in with, you know, bloody shopping bag, you know, let's get you a bag of some sort. I can't remember, it was a sports bag, you know, to put your footwear in. But, you know, the fact that they paid for you, you know, they, they were buying me a pair of football boots, you know, and not just football boots, but Adidas Copa Mundial and Adidas World Cup, you know, which must have been, that's probably not far short of like two or 300 quid now. Decent and football it, boots. Yeah, decent football <laughs> boots, yeah. So, yeah, that was it. That was the start of it all. What was your first day of training like? Because, as you say, you signed in the summer of 1973. That's it. What was your first day of training like? Because, as you say, you know, you was just about to become a, a, you know, working in a school as a PE teacher. And then all of a sudden, you're on a football pitch with, as you you say, fantastic players like Ron Harris and Mickey Joy. What was going through your mind at that point, you know, seeing this and on your first day of training? Well, I thought I'd better prepare for it. And um, basically, about 10 days before I came down for training, I thought I'd better um, pound the streets of uh, Liverpool or where where I lived, which I did every day. I went out running. I started doing, like, sit-ups and press-ups and, you know, doing sprints and I was doing all... Just to try and keep myself fit, because what I didn't want to do was blow up in, in 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 my first week. And that's something that stood me in good stead because I did watch one or two players, you know, being actually physically sick, you know, on the first day or the second day of training. And I'm thinking, wow, and no, no names here, but I'm thinking, God, if I ever got in that position, if I ever got in that state, I'd, I'd, I'd want to shoot myself or want somebody to shoot me because that's that's just, I couldn't stand there. And I was so glad I did what I did. And that sort of regime I continued throughout my, the whole of my career in fact I, I still go running now but that's been part and parcel of you know the professional side of the game and I just didn't want to be in that state I always felt when I come back for pre-season wherever I was wherever I was and uh, I wanted to make sure that if nothing else I could keep up with the uh, keep up with the pack <laughs> keep up with the belts on so yeah uh, that was the first day I remember thinking, wow, I don't want to be in that state. And equally, because of the uh, the work I'd done, it stood me in good stead. I was comfortable again. I, f- I felt like, you know, you're keeping up with the running, you're keeping up with the work. And then when the balls were out, you know, that was when uh, that was when the real talent began to show. Because when you're meeting people in a dressing room one minute and you don't know what the light till you get out in the football pitch and even in a warm-up, you know, once you see them zip a ball about or take it with the weak foot or, you know, clip it, bend it. And, and you think, wow, these are players, you know, these are top players, this lot. Dave Sexton was the coach when yeah. you when you signed for the club. What was your relationship like with him and how did you rate him as a coach? Oh, he was, um, he was renowned. He had, um, he had a reputation, Dave. Um, and I probably didn't get off to a good start because after um, after a couple of weeks, when he said, uh, you know, let's let's go outside and we'll have a chat because he was obviously going to offer me a um, you know a contract, 
I didn't know what a contract was. I didn't know what money was. I was a student. I'm still a student. I know I'm going into teaching and teaching was going to pay me something like I don't know, 20, 23, 24 quid a week. Wow. And um, yeah. he sat me down and he said, look, you know, we've, we've had, you know, 10 days and uh, I quite like what I see. And I think you've got a bit more in you. No promises, you know, for the long term future and all that stuff. But there's an opportunity here for you. We'll give you a, a two year contract. Uh, one year professional contract and one year as an option and the option was the club's option not mine so if they thought yeah we'll keep them for another year it meant that they could keep me on the same terms as it were those contracts don't exist anymore but anyway so I said um, right okay and I said well what makes you think I'm going to be a a professional player and he he nearly fell off the chair (laughs) we were sitting outside he nearly fell off his chair because I was thinking, you know, if I've got an opportunity to go into teaching and I'm going to give that up to go and do this, I want to be pretty sure that I've got, I've got a good chance of doing it. Whilst I think I know what I feel, I really need to know what, what he feels, you know, what, what makes you think, you know. So, uh, like I said, you know, he fell off the chair and he said, well, you know, I think we've seen enough of you. I think you've, you can handle the ball well. I think physically you're in good good shape. You've got pace, you know, blah, 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 blah. You're fitting in well and, you know, what more do you want to know? <laughs> so, but, but in actual fact, the next, the following year, I think Dave left the following year. Is that correct? 74, Dave Sexton? I think he yes, left he, in yeah. about, was it about October, September, October time? Can't remember now, but that first year with, with Dave was, uh, was amazing. Most of the time I spent with, with the reserves, but then it, it didn't take long to, to get trained with the first team. So I started um, training with the first team and I made uh, what was my debut, I think, in, um, in, was it home to Newcastle? Yes, I was going to say, you made your debut for Chelsea the next year. It was against Newcastle. Um, What was that moment like for you? It must have been about March, April time. Uh, It was definitely towards the end of the season. We were safe and in those days... It was uh, once you knew you were safe, they, they would start to blood a few youngsters or a few um, few uh, extra players in the squad. And that was the case with me. I, I played, I, I didn't actually start against Newcastle. I came on as a sub. Yeah, you came on as a sub, yeah. It was on and, the uh, um, 16th of March was the date. There you go. And um, I do remember coming off the, uh, coming off the park and, and looking over and seeing Terry McDermott playing for Newcastle because he went from Bury to Newcastle. So I still followed my football and all this, but you know I'd, I'd lost touch with all my schoolmates and mm. old teammates and that. And then uh, I remember going over to Terry McDermott, shaking his hand and saying, "It's Kenny." And he went, "Sweeney, what are you doing here?" <laughs> you know, <laughs> I've missed that one. He said, "How long have you been here?" And I said, "I've been here about eighteen months now." So he said, "Oh, brilliant!" So uh, that was that. But I do, I think I played about another four or five games after that, and I, I, I remember Dave being like a you know a real tactician uh, good motivator and you know obviously a real real understanding of the game um and that obviously working with him i didn't think it it only lasted till about october time i think he he, he left then i think he went to qpr is that right dave sexton left the october of 74 there you go. Yeah, I knew it was about that time. October 74, he left. And I thought, 
you know, I, I was I was buying into everything he was he was and everything he um, you know wanted the club to be and, and his teams and his players to be. And I thought, oh my god, what's going to happen now? You know, it, here we go. This is the start of you know the uncertainty of football for me. But uh, you know, I was fortunate that uh, you know they they kept me on for another year, and I think in that time probably just cracked it then in that second my second year I didn't quite crack it um I think I only played one game two games in my second year but when David left I thought that's it I've had it but the start of the next season you know I got stuck into it and and, and I was okay then for the next like three seasons well I was gonna uh, mention that it didn't take you long to score your first goal for Chelsea it was against Arsenal in a 3-1 defeat (laughs) this scoreline though that must have gave you a confidence boost for you personally, oh, knowing yeah. that you've just recently joined the club. You was able to get on the score sheet and then pretty much you are off and running based on the position that you was playing. Yeah. Um, I do remember it. I remember, um, again, I, I just remember coming off the field at the end of it, like elated that I've scored, but we've been stuffed. And in fact, I don't know whether we were 3-0 up, but however it came, we lost 3-1 at home you know, to Arsenal, uh, which was no disgrace really because we had quite a young side out then. And um, I'm, I remember making a beeline for Alan Ball because Alan Ball was playing for Arsenal and he was my hero as a kid. And I thought, God, I've, I've got, got that shot, you know, and I just took you know, focused on Ball, went over there, shook his hand and I'm, I'm, I was taller than him. <laughs> and he had a squeaky voice and he went, yeah, well done, son, you know, well done, good game. And I thought, great, Alan Ball said I played well <laughs> when I've been following since I was a kid. So, yeah, it was like just being like a kid. I was like a schoolboy for, for years, you know, meeting players and being on the same pitch as, you know, f- you know players who I thought were like fantastic players. Still uh, still gobsmacked even even late on in, in your career. You know, you get gobsmacked when you, you're looking at the opposition, you're thinking, God, what a player he is, you know. Wow. Mm. Now you, according to my research, you missed the entirety of the seventy four seventy five season. Yes. Can you just clarify on the situation on what that was? Was it to do with a, a nasty injury? Was it maybe lack of form or manager decided to pick other players? Well, do you remember what the reason? Yeah. Was? Well, not. I don't know what the reasons are, but I know what my feelings were, which were uh, I'd broken into the team the. Back end of the first season, 73, 70, so in 1974, like March, April, May, yes. I probably played about five or six games. Um, maybe wasn't included the last, you know, three or four games of the season. Started the next year off. Uh, I think I had another year on my contract then, because, you know, obviously I, I've broken into the first team, so they renewed the contract a little bit. And um, that following season, of course, David left in... Uh, October, and I think Ron Seward took, took over temporarily. That's right. And then, and then Eddie, Eddie McCready got the job. He got the job um, in April of seventy-five. In seventy-five, did he? So that season would have been, or was it Ken Shelto first? No, it was Ken Shelto came afterwards, didn't he? Yeah, he came to, two after years Eddie. After. Yeah, yeah, two years after. Yeah. It, it might have been Ron Seward then, um, who was manager. But anyway, I was I was out of the picture. That was for sure. Um, 
never played. I think I had one. Did I have one appearance? Two appearances? I can't remember. Uh, well, according to my research, you you didn't have any. Yeah, and I, I went up to. Uh, I think I think it was just a um, a token gesture. Are you sure Eddie McCready wasn't manager then? Eddie became manager in April of seventy five, and he left the first of July two years later. Right. Okay. Well, anyway, I was sub at Everton, right. and I thought it's just, that's just you know somebody's just doing me a favour, really. But the realization was, I've had a good start, I've had a bad season this year, and I'm thinking, where do I go from here? So, um, I think I think they offered me. Dario Grady said to me, "They're going to offer you a contract." He said, "I, I know that," and he said, "But uh, if you don't fancy it." or you don't think uh, your prospects are good here. He said, I do know Dave will take you to QPR. Because right. he'd gone to QPR. And I thought at that time they had Don Givens, Irish International, um, Stan Bowles, you know, hero of London and bloody hell. He played for England as well, I think, Stan Bowles. And Dave Thomas, you know, played for England on the wing. And I'm thinking, God, if I can't get in this Chelsea team, I've got no chance of getting in that one. <laughs> So I remember thinking, I'll give it, I'll give it this season. So I just took the contract, signed it. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't any great increase at all. And I just thought, if I can't get in this team, then I'm, I might as well go back to teach. <laughs> I might as well do something different. Um, and that's how it worked out. I think the following season, I got in and I probably established myself then. Yeah, the seventy-five, seventy-six season. You was, you was back in the side, and you... yep. You was able to be part of the squad. You know, you did you did yeah. play a number of games and you did score some goals. But yeah. I want to fast forward to the season after the 76-77 season. Yeah. Chelsea in the second division at this yeah. point. Do you remember what the feeling was like in the dressing room in regards to the expectations of the players rather than sort of what the manager wanted? What what was sort of the mindset of the players knowing that Chelsea were in the second division? You've had players here that have won trophies, mm. have played in the first division, established themselves in the first division. Yeah. What was the expectations like amongst the squad that I summer? Think, yeah, I think, Keith, because... Um... We had a talented group of players. Uh, I've got to say, young young players. Um, they weren't, uh, you know, Peter Oscar, Alan Hudson, Ian Hutchinson, Johnny Owens, you know, Ronnie Harris. They weren't that quality yet, but they they definitely had the potential to do that. And it was a tight knit group, believe it or not. And um, I, I think we all felt I think missing out one year, but having get got that full season under our belt, I think we did fancy our chances that season. Um, did we? I think we just missed out. Um, we got promotion. Was it the following season or was it that season? The promotion it season. It was the seventy-six. Seventy-seven. Yeah. So I think we fancied our chances, you know, from early on as well. Um, and again, I think I played most of that season. I probably missed the last two or three games. And we were we were chasing it all the way through anyway, chasing promotion. So having got there and got promotion. I've got to say that was the first big thrill of me football life is, and and I've used that as quite often with kids, you know, in coaching over the years with the FA and England kids, and 
by saying, you know, there aren't many winners in the game, you know, because we didn't win that league. Somebody else won that league. But we achieved, you know, promotion. Or it might have been the season before where we got close to promotion. They're what I call achievements. And, you, you know, you've got to keep keep achieving in, in, in life and in football, in sport, whatever. Keep getting, uh, keep getting better. Because, like I said, there aren't many winners. You can only win, the only one team can win the FA Cup. Only one team can win the league. Only one team can go into Europe and win a trophy. And that's it, three winners. And if you've got a great side like Liverpool did and Man City now, then you're down to one. <laughs> there's only one, one place for, for someone else. But there's lots of uh, scope for achievers, you know, chasing promotion or finishing in the top half of the league, which they've never done before, or avoiding relegation. That's an achievement, you know. So, yeah, it was a it was a massive achievement for me. And I thought, God, this is fantastic, this. In your opinion, what was your personal highlight of that season, other than sort of getting promoted, but how you performed that season and with the with the return of the goals that you had? Yeah, I can't remember. that sort of stuck in your mind? Yeah, I think, were we playing Tottenham that year? Um, did we play Tottenham at White Hart Lane early in the, and we drew to all? Or was that the following season? That must have been the following season. No, we're in we're in the championship year now, aren't we? So I remember I remember scoring at Bristol City, getting a uh, I think it was a winning goal anyway. Um that was a that was just like a personal highlight, you know, because it was a you know it was a good goal. But having said that, I'd have to say the the home you know, the home games that we had and the crowds that we had, and they were increasing as the season went on. And, you know, we, we had some ding-dong games there. You know, I, I, I wouldn't say we were consistent, but we'd, uh, you know, we'd win games we, we weren't entitled to win. Mm. Um, so I can't, I can't think of anything particularly special for me other than, you know, getting there. <laughs> the, what I do remember is I missed the last three of two, three, four games of the season when I think we went to Wolves for... Did we win the we won promotion at Wolves, didn't we, that year? That's right, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And um I remember walking around Sainsbury's with my wife or Safeways <laughs> with my wife that Saturday afternoon and you know, hearing the radios, you know, around the um around the shop and people saying, Oh, Chelsea scored again, or you know, oh, oh that's it, they've done it, they cracked it, and I'm here's me walking down Safeway <laughs> with my wife. <laughs> Because I think we only had one sub in those days, or right, two. Yeah. I wouldn't have been on the bus. They must have been saving money on my uh, my meal or whatever, my dinner. <laughs> but that was, the, uh, that was the that was the biggest uh, wrench for me because I think I played I don't know maybe thirty or thirty six, thirty eight games or something, and having to miss the last two, three, four games, whatever it was, was um was a bit a bit painful, but. You know, at the end of the day, like I said, it was an amazing achievement and I felt part of it, even though I missed the last little bit. And I was really looking forward to the, you know, to playing in the first division. Well, I was going to say, you, you made 41 appearances that season. You scored 14 goals. You made me feel worse now. Yeah, no, I, I did feel I, a little bit. I only missed one game then. I only missed the last game. Oh, my God. You made me feel worse. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll try and... Uh pick you up a little bit but to get 
to get promoted must have been, a, as you say, a, a massive achievement for you, knowing yeah. that now you could be back in the first division and it's where you ideally wanted to be. Well, not just wanted to be. Uh, like I said, you know, years before, two, three, four years before, I'm thinking, oh, this club could be a big club. You know, this this really could be a big club. You know, when you listen to, you know, and be sitting on the back of the coach coming back from some games with the... Uh, you know, Peter Osgood and John Dempsey and Ronnie Harris and David Hay. And you're thinking, wow, you know, what a club this could be. And, uh, you know, but the fortunes that we had for the following two or three seasons in the second division was, but now we're in the first division again. I'm thinking, oh, this this could be takeoff time. You know, we could be really taking off here. So I think that's what I was looking forward to more than anything, you know. What's your opinion on Eddie McCready, who was the Chelsea manager at the time, and he was a former yeah. player, managed to yeah. get the club back up. And yeah. there's that iconic sort of scene where he's sort of holding the microphone, trying to tell the fans to calm down. I think it was the last game was against, last home game was against Hull. And every time I think Chelsea scored, fans just bombarded the pitch. Yeah. And there was a talk about the game being um, actually yeah. abandoned. And then you've yeah. got Eddie with the black hair, the sunglasses, and yeah. sort of the massive <laughs> yeah. coat telling yeah. people you've done brilliantly all season, don't ruin it now. Do you remember yeah. much about that sort of time? And what, again, yeah, in yeah. general, what were yeah, your opinions yeah. on? Well, he, was, he, was, he was quite popular with the players, um, you know, particularly the younger players. And of course, he, he made Ray Wilkins captain when he was only 18, 19, hmm. which was a bit bold, you know, considering you've got Ron Harris, <laughs> he was playing in the team and David Hayes just come back from a World Cup, you know, for Scotland. You know, that was a bold, a bold move, but it, it, it worked out well for, you know, for everyone, for the club and for, for, for Ray, obviously, as well, because he, he went on to do, well, to prove that he, he was the player that everybody thought he was going to be. You know, he was a, he was a fantastic player, Ray. Two-footed, and there weren't many natural two-footers around the game. Glenn Oddle, maybe, in those days, but... He could um, he could do anything you know with either foot, take penalties, take corners, you know, inside his inside of his foot, outside of his foot, you know, left and right. He was he was blessed with the you know technical skill. You know that particular season um, was was probably the hardest one for Eddie because obviously um, you know there was pressure on him, and I think that uh, may be told in the end because I think he was, I mean there was all sorts of talk that he, he you know he. He was after a new contract or he wanted more than, than, than was offered or the club couldn't afford to pay him any more than what they offered. I think there was all that kind of rumour abounding, but, it, you know, the top and bottom of it was, you know, you know, they, 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 parted, they parted company, you know, the club and Eddie. Um, and yet, you know, it, that, that promotion was, was all secured during his tenure. And so all the credit really has to go down to him for that promotion. Um, but then, you know, that's again, that's another sign of what happens in football. And he was like my third third manager, or second manager, third manager in three or four years. And Ken Shellato took over, is that right? Did Ken that's take right. Over? He took over in July. July. He was, that's right. And he was there for just over, just over a year. He left in 78. Yeah, and uh, in that time, I think it was clear because Teddy Maybank was doing well. T Tommy Langley was knocking in goals. Steve Finiston, I think, I'm not so sure Steve left before I left, but 
you know, they had plenty of goal scorers and I, I started to drift backwards playing in midfield and I thought, Pani, you know, I'm, I wasn't sure about my prospects for that season and come Christmas time, I think I was out, not Christmas time, but about December time, I was out of the team mm. and I thought, here we go again. <laughs> mm. But that's that's all part and parcel of being competitive and, you know, you know, having, having setbacks and, you know, getting knocked off the horse and getting back on it again and trying to... So, you know, where, where you could credit Eddie for that, you know, Ken had a difficult task in taking over from him and Eddie's popularity um, and to try and steer the club into in, into its, you know, its next... Um, its, its next uh, passage. What was the squad's reaction like to Ken taking the job? Because as you say, Eddie was popular with the Chelsea team and also the Chelsea fans. Ken's come in. Yeah. You know, you've mentioned that he partly was between a rock and a hard place in trying to deal with everything with the yeah. club. Bearing in mind they've just gone back into the first division. What was the what was the squad's reaction to Ken take, yeah. taking the role? Yeah. Um well again it was quite favourable because many of the boys, most of the boys had probably grown up being coached by Ken, you know, for many years because Ken was the not just like the youth the under 18s youth coach. He was also, you know, taking evening training for, you know, 14s and 15s. So he'd have seen most of those boys, you know, Steve Wicks, uh, the Wilkins brothers, uh, Ray Lou, um, David Stride, bless him. You know, there's lots of lots of the uh, the kids would have played under Dave, so he would have been a popular choice amongst them. Hmm. Now, you mentioned earlier about your variety of positions that you had at Chelsea. You know, you were striker. Then I believe when I looked at your research, you played on the wing. Certain games, you actually played as fullback as well. Was this difficult for you to adapt? Bearing in mind, you know, but based on how you played. And then all of a sudden you've had to say change positions. Was it hard for you um, mentally to adapt? Nah, not particularly. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say because I never. I never looked at myself as a goal scorer. Mm. Um, Steve Finiston was your archetypal goal scorer. He he would lose sleep if he didn't score fifteen goals in training. He, he right. wouldn't sleep that night. <laughs> And when it came to the game on Saturday, if we'd won one nil and he hasn't scored, he'd be miserable. But we won one nil, but he didn't score. He was he was a goal scorer. Uh, I was never in that boat. I was never in that league. I, you know, I could make him, or I could get across, or I could slot somebody in, or I could get a rebound myself. And you know, that's brilliant. You know, but he he never looked at it that way. So for for me, um, playing in a Midfield role, which was attacking, wasn't much different from playing wide or playing as a second striker with Steve Finiston. You know, you're playing just beside him. So, you know, th- those moves weren't weren't uh, too bad. And I changed to fullback. Came at Villa mm. after my um, my move from Chelsea yeah, to yeah. Villa, and I think I did about six months as a as a striker. I was a you know second striker with uh, Andy Graham, Brian Little, and I think the following season. So I'd done six months, and then the following season, an opportunity came at right back because they'd sold John Gidman. I mean, I know we're moving on to Aston Villa here, but 
they'd sold John Gidman, who was an England international. And I was just fitting in for a while, as I saw it. And the manager on Saunders said, uh, you know, you've, you've done right there. They're like two or three games. He said, let's, let's give you a run there and see. Do, do you fancy it, first of all? Because if you don't, I'm going to have to go and buy a fullback. And if you do, then I'm going to have to buy, you know, a replacement for you up front. I just need to know. And I said, OK, well, let's give it a go. So he said, well, you're going to play in the next six games. Well, nobody ever guarantees you a game, let alone six games. But he said, well, you play in the next six games and then we'll have a chat. Which I did, played, all comfortable, you know, hand in glove fit for me. And uh, that was it. I made the rest of my career at fullback. The rest is history. The rest is history. But, you know, at Chelsea, I, I do I do think um, I might have played one game, two games, or slotted in somewhere for maybe Graham Wilkins or Johnny Sparrow or somebody. Gary Locke, maybe, yeah. Yeah, Chelsea, I was going to say, Chelsea's return to the first division, they finished 16th. Overall, and again, was based on your own performances was you happy with your return to the first division and was you happy with the end result on your performances overall is this 77 78 now that's right yes 77 78 well again like I said I I think I played early on Uh, it was tough you know it was a different level of football altogether you know probably a level that maybe I'd forgotten being in the um you know the second division but it was it was catching up with all of us to be fair because we were a young side and we we did well you know in in the uh, in the second division, but now you're up against you know Liverpool will win things left right and centre, Manchester United weren't quite the force that they uh, turned out to be, Arsenal were a force for sure, Everton were a force, um, Tottenham were doing well you know so there were some bloody good teams in that league. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a bit of a, a surprise or a knockback. And I suppose when Ken left me out for a few games, again, I thought, bloody hell, I, I need to do something about this. If, if I can't get in this team, I need to probably move now. Mm-hmm. Not that I wanted to move. I didn't want to move at all. But well, um, I, I, was say, I was going to talk about your departure in a minute. I just want to sort of yeah. just uh, touch on the Chelsea crowd itself. And what was it like sort of playing in front of the Chelsea supporters because Stamford Bridge back then was a lot different to what it is now. Um, yeah. You know, what was it like, especially with midweek games, for, for example, you know, was there like a particular difference atmosphere between night games to a Saturday at three o'clock? Well, I don't ask you what the uh, average attendance was, but, um, but I'm going to ask you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the average attendance was, but it, it wasn't... Um, you know, you didn't get like 40, 40 odd thousand there every week. It was like 20, you know, 28,000, 31,000. And then all of a sudden you're playing West Ham and it's like 48,000 or you're playing Tottenham and it's 50,000. Um, you know, you're playing Fulham. And, and of course, Fulham were, were, were buying players like, um, you know, George Best, Alan Mullery. Believe they, had some, they had some great players. And, and so that was a derby match for for Chelsea. And I remember um, we must have had about you know, 50-odd thousand this, the season before on a boxing day, you know, because it was a local derby. But the, 
one of my most vivid memories, when you, you were talking about crowds before, and you're looking at stadiums and the terraces. I've got a picture somewhere, I've got a home here somewhere, of um, a game we played against Tottenham at White Hart Lane. Baking hot day, it must have been about September time. And um, we drew two all. I'd scored both goals. And that's why I found it like so memorable. But the, the most amazing thing was um, somebody sent me this picture just years ago and uh, I'd, I'd scored a header. And I think they used to call it the shelf at Tottenham. I think so. The side of the ground. So it, it wasn't like all the, all the football fans, all the home fans went on the shelf, which was the side of the pitch. Um, they weren't bothered about the ends, you know, the the, the oppositions you know, can, can take those. Mm. But the, the crowd on the shelf that day, and it was something like 50, I can't remember, 52, 56,000 people. And you can't, you know, you, 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 all, all you can see is just heads together. It looks like a, oh, it's, it's, it's an amazing picture there, just to show people that, you know, in, back in those days, everybody stood on the terraces then, mm. and you know, I don't, I don't know where they, where they thought it was full and it wasn't full. But you know, you look at games like that, and the the one that you referred to earlier on, and you can see the, you know, some incredible crowds. Then I'm not even so sure the, um, they were clearly reflected or honestly reflected. Mm. I want to discuss your final season now. Um, that was a that this is the season where you did score two against Tottenham. Um, mm-hmm. It was in the August of uh, a seventy eight. Excuse me. Yeah. Chelsea did have a terrible start to the seventy eight a seventy nine season, whereby from from the start of it, I think Chelsea only won you know, a period of one game in a space of two to three months. Yeah. Why do you think Chelsea were very inconsistent at this point, bearing in mind the squad they had? Well, when you say the squad they had, it was still based on a on a young on a young squad. And when you look at the senior pros at the time, um, they were probably, you know, no disrespect to Ron. He probably had his better days before then. Uh, Peter Benetti was in goal. He'd been an England international, you know. In 1974, um, David Hay had joined us. He was a he was a big signing at the time, um, and I think you know we largely put up with. Want to say put up with? We largely used all of the younger players. So going from um, second division football and getting used to it for the season, and then dominating it and doing well in it. And thinking, great, you, you, you've cracked it. Then to go into the um, the first division and then come up against Aussie Ardealers mm. and Ricky Villa and Glenn Oddle, <laughs> you know, Steve Perryman. Complete change. Ah. Mm. And then you're looking at who you're playing next week. Oh, you're going to go up to Anfield. Oh, my God, you know. And who's after that? You're going down to Southampton. Isn't that where Aussie went? Yeah, Southampton, yeah. They've also taken Kevin Keegan and Uncle Tom Copley and all. And, you know, there's some great players in that league still. And so I think it was always going to be difficult, but I think there was an element of, you know, not, you know, a bit of a blow of confidence. You know, you get into a bit of a rut. I've always said this about, 
if you get in a rut of losing games, it's hard to get out of. And equally, when you get in, you get into a rut of winning games and you know good fortune. You think, how, how did we win that one today? Mm. You know, it was an own goal, or you, you think, oh, the referee's given us a penalty. You know, two minutes from time. You know, you can't you can't believe your luck sometimes. And I think we were in a, a bit of a rut at the start of the season. And in fact, I I think that's probably why, you know, maybe I didn't play. You know, for for Ken Shellato, maybe thought no, you know, I need something else. I need something different. So I'm, I'm sure I wasn't the only one left out of the uh, the squad. But hmm. I think it was a matter of confidence and also the realization of wow, this is a different level. Hmm. And you see it today. You can see it with uh, Championship clubs coming into the Premier League. You know, it is a it's a it's a real arduous, oh, it's a real arduous task to to get anywhere near the uh, the top half of the table. Anybody finishing the top half of the table from the championship is, you know, they must be special. Like Wolves were last year. They, they're special. They were special last year. Now, I was, I was going through my research about the time of this period where certain players, as you say, were on the way out. And there was something that came up on, on my research. There was a story that came out in one of the papers. It was about was it your request to move shall we say. Is it true that you did put in a transfer at, while at Chelsea and said that yeah. you wanted to leave? Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, in those days, um, if you put a transfer request in, if you had something in your contract, like loyalty or whatever, loyalty bonus or loyalty payments or whatever, they, that wouldn't be paid. And also, if you requested, I think you you forfeited something if you requested it. And I thought, well, I wasn't bothered about that. I just wanted to be playing first-team football. Thought I should be playing first-team football. Thought I'm at this level. And if I can't play in this team, and we're struggling as well, we were not getting results. I'm thinking maybe maybe I should move on. So I I did um, hand in a transfer request. And uh, I, I played a few reserve games, I think, for Chelsea. And unknowingly, I... Um, a fellow called Brian Eastick, who was a coach. He was a youth coach at Chelsea at the time. And Brian was, um, he'd uh, he'd said to me on a couple of occasions, I think somebody from Aston Villa's come to see you today. So I said, how do you know this? Or who, who do you know? Or whatever. But he had, he had his ears to the ground, <laughs> Brian. So um, I played a few games. And then the next thing was, Ken, um, in fact, it, it might have been Ken, it might have been Frank Upton, because Frank was a coach under Ken. And Frank, funnily enough, came from Villa. Right. Previously. He came from Villa as a as a first team coach to Chelsea as a first team coach under Ken Shadow, but they were they were they were friends, you know. Mm. So um I think it might have been Frank who rang me to say, um Villa are interested in you. They've made an offer. And um, Ron Saunders, the manager there, he'd like to, he'd like to meet and have a have a chat with you. Here's his number. Give him a call. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I thought, well, okay, <laughs> is that how it works? <laughs> uh, anyway, I went up. I rang rang Ron, and he. I went up on a Thursday night. I think spoke to him. Um, he'd offered me uh, terms, you know, for a two a three year contract. And um, I went back to Chelsea 
on that Thursday night. Trained with them on, on the Friday. And Chelsea were playing Villa on the Saturday <laughs> at uh, Stamford Bridge. So I was sitting in the stand. I wasn't in the team. And uh, Ron had said to me, will you be at the game Saturday? And I said, well, I'll, I'll be at the game. <laughs> I don't think I'll be playing, but I'll, I will be at the game. He said, well, come and let me know what you think after the game. Because he, he wasn't going to hang around. He wasn't going to be, you know. Of course. Mm. He just said, uh, okay, it's Thursday night, so uh, we're playing. Let's, you know, think it over the next day or two and let me know on Saturday after the game. So I thought, great, yeah. So I did. I said, yeah, great. I'm, I'm coming up. And he said, great, okay, come up on um, come up on Monday or Tuesday or wherever. And I, have, I think um, Brian Mears, the chairman, he was the chairman, I think, yeah. That's Brian, right, yeah, Brian, Brian Mears, chairman of Chelsea. Yeah. Brian and... He'd rang me to say, um, you know, I'm I'm not, you know, I'm not too sure about all this, you know, this deal or whatever. He said, um, you know, we, we don't really want you to uh, to go. He said, so I don't know how or what how this has happened, you know. And I sensed a little bit of internal, you know, discussions had gone on there. But I said, well, I'm going up to see him. I'm going to see Ron Saunders on Tuesday or Wednesday. And he said, well, hold fire. And um, and I thought, bloody hell, what do I do? I, was, I thought it was terrible. <laughs> I thought it was, the business was terrible, the way they were going about it. Mm. So um, I think it was Frank who rang me on the Monday night to say, um, yeah, you can go. You can go. We've, we've spoken to the chairman and all the rest of it. And I said, well, he rang me to say, you know, what, what's going on? So he said, "Well, I'm ringing you now to tell you that you, you can you can go go and speak to them." So that was it. I'd already spoken to them anyway, and I'd agreed everything. So I went up on the Wednesday, and um, um, Tony Barton, who was who was Ron's assistant at the time, assistant manager, I believe. Yes, yes. Manager Tony had come to Birmingham International Station to meet me, and he said, um, "I'll take you to your hotel where you're staying." Um, later, he said, "But we're just going down to the gaffer's house." He said, "You want he, he wants you to come round and say hello." And the chairman, you know, the villa chairman wants to come and meet you as well. Comes, and I, I just felt straight away, God, this is fantastic, you know, welcoming and yeah. like a warm reception. So uh, went round to Ron's house. His wife answered the door, you know, hello, big smile, she, Irish lady. She still she doesn't live far from me now, actually. Um. You know, she she gave us a warm welcome. Would you like a cup of tea or do you want a beer or do you want a drink or something? I said, no, I'll just have a cold drink. I'll, I'll be fine. <laughs> Met Ron and then Harry Carts, the chairman, he came round, you know, within five or ten minutes. He was he, he came in. He was only a little short fella. And uh, again, you know, really welcoming. And I hope you, hope you have a good time with us and blah, blah, blah. And that was it. You know, me, me Chelsea days were over. Mm. But I've got to say, when we... Um, that first six months at Villa, which was from about Christmas through to the end of the season, I was still living in Rains Park, Southwest Twenty. Okay, yeah, yeah, and um, we'd had a house there, my wife and kids. And when we were, when we sold up and we were leaving, which was probably a year later, or I was, we were driving up there to put, to put the boys in school and everything. God, we were all crying. <laughs> Me, my wife, and the two kids—we were all crying because we we really didn't want to go. 
But right. I realised, you know, there was no future for me here or no, no, nothing secure here. Not that there is security, but, you know, I, I couldn't see anything on the horizon at Chelsea. And yet the opportunity to go to Villa and, you know, the squad of players they had, you know, the reputation they had, you know, they were a bigger club than Villa. Uh, they were a bigger club than Chelsea at the time. You know, they had some fantastic players, you know, Andy Gray, Brian Little, bloody hell, fantastic team. And big crowds as well. You know, it was, I'd be a fool to turn it down. Three-year contract, I've got, I've got to go. Yeah. yeah. It still, didn't, it still didn't stop us getting upset, driving up the A3 and crying our eyes out all of us. <laughs> was there any ch- sort of Chelsea teammate that you spoke to? To about this potential move, was there anybody that sort of said to you, you know, "Stay, you know, yeah. it could be an yeah. opportunity." Yeah, yeah. Did you get any sort of feedback yeah. from yeah. players or even supporters? Yeah, uh, not so much the supporters because I think once I'd gone on that Tuesday, that was it, finished. Right, and so I didn't see the supporters again. Um, however, Duncan McKenzie was at Chelsea at the time, and Chelsea had signed him from Everton. And his wife apparently went to the same school as my wife. I'm not so sure they knew each other, but, you know, there was a link there with him. And Duncan being an Everton player, and he was a character, and he was, he was, a, he was a trickster, you know, on the ball. He had amazing uh, ability and skills and all the rest of it. But, you know, as a coach now and understanding what football is all about, he must have been a bloody nightmare, you know, to deal with. <laughs> to try and get him to play in a, in a system or fulfil a role within the yeah, team. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he was, he was a nightmare, you know, for that. But he was brilliant. In fact, you know, he was he was good company. Yeah, you know, he, he was a laugh. But he said to me, um, oh, I said, get get yourself up there." He said, "The Villa." Can you imagine? He said, "Joining the Villa," and he was he was just painting a fantastic picture. And he, he said, "Have you played at Villa Park?" And I said, "Yeah, I think we have." Yeah. He said, "What a place that is!" You know, it's one of those grounds. It's it's they're one of the top. 12, you know, the, the original 12 who formed the, the league. They've got a fantastic history and, you know, Andy Gray and all them, bloody hell, you do well to get in that team. <laughs> so he said, uh, you know, a bit, that's a great move for you. You know, I, would, I, I wouldn't turn Villa down now. I wouldn't have turned Villa down any time, he said. So, but, And yeah. looking back, you certainly made the right move based on what you won at Villa. Yeah, but you know that's 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 easy in hindsight, isn't it? It's, it's easy. Oh, hindsight's to... a wonderful thing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but at, at the time, I did think my heart was in my heart was in London. My heart was in Chelsea, and uh, but my mind was on Villa, and you know it was in it was a new um, chapter. And of course, five years I'd, I'd done three years at university, so I've now done doubled my time at university at one football club. And I'm now 20, I was thinking about 26 at the time. And I thought, you know, three-year contract, that takes me up to like 28, 29. You know, I could be having 10 years here, you know. And I did that. I ended up four and a half, five seasons at Villa. So I ended up doing 10 years at both clubs, which was a great start. Well, great start. I wouldn't mean my career. My career should have taken after that. But I was, you know, I look back and I think, uh, again, with hindsight, I think, wow, bloody hell. When I left Villa after the European Cup win, I went to Forest to play with Cluffy. He was under Brian Clough, yes. And um, I mean that what an experience that was. What an experience. 
he was and you know he was an, an enigma. What kind of manager was he? Because I know that you know I know we're sort of partly going off track, but in regards to Brian Clough himself, oh. you know people have mentioned. Keith, we'd have we'd be here all day. Was. Would we be all oh, right? We'd be we'd be here all day, honestly. <laughs> and all those Chelsea supporters would be thinking, "Oh, come on, tell us a few stories." But he was um, he was a one-off. Um, he was spontaneous. There was nothing rehearsed about him. I look at some managers and or coaches now, and I think, you know, they they're almost reading off something, or they prepared themselves for this, or you know. But he was bang, you know, he, he just he shot from the hips straight away. And he had no, um, you know, he could destroy you in a sentence. But equally, wow, he could, he could put you on that pedestal there, you know, and, you know, with two, two comments. And his, um, he was a lion, an absolute lion of a manager. Fearless, absolutely, totally fearless. He had no, not respect. But he had no, um, no, not not regarded. What's the word I'm looking for? He, you know, walking in Anfield or walking in, you know, Old Trafford or whatever. He, he wasn't to, intimidated with the atmosphere wasn't or anything. Totally, yeah. No, totally unintimidated by reputation or whatever. He just breezed in, and he was such a big character that when he breezed into these places, everybody would be, you know, almost ducking and diving. I am Mr. Clough. I am. Brian or whatever, you know, and he'd just be, you know, morning or good afternoon or whatever. You know, could you get us a pot of tea? Just get us a pot of tea and that'll be great. You know, he was fantastic. And I would, I, I'd keep, uh, I'd keep it all here till midnight tonight. Tell <laughs> your stories about him. It was, it was a fantastic two, three years I had there. I've got to say, probably the happiest two years. We, we didn't actually win anything. I think we finished... We finished runners up. No, we finished uh, third to Liverpool and Sa- I think Southampton picked us on the last day. There you go, Southampton. Right, yeah. They had Kevin Keegan and mm. Mick Shannon and you know they had some bloody good players. Anyway, they they, um, they picked us one season, so I think we finished third. But didn't and again got to a semi final of the uh, UEFA Cup. We got to the semi final against Anderlecht. So almost achieved. Enormous things, but he they'd had their best days just before I joined them, you know, when they won the well, they went up with us, didn't they? They went up with Chelsea, yeah. So, so yeah, so 10 years at you know, Chelsea and Villa, and then you, you, you get a, a stroke of good luck like that, two or three years at Forest with Brian Clough, wow, and playing, bad career. yeah. And one of the games was uh, we were playing Barcelona and it was at Forest. And uh, Diego Maradona was playing for Barca at, at that time, and um, he was an un- unbelievable uh, footballer. Oh, breathtaking, breathtaking footballer, um, Maradona. But I, I, you know, I'm not so sure. You, you get opportunities like that, and when they come, like I said to you before, you know, to be on the f- the same football field as an icon or as a fantastic player, I'm, I'm like a supporter. I'm like, I'm overawed. I'm thinking, wow, I'm up against him today. Or, you know, he's playing or. Very he's similar to how you was with Alan Ball. Yeah, you exactly. Yeah. 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 And then here goes. And then as soon as Forrest is over, I go to Portsmouth 
to play for Alan Ball. And he's the manager, yeah. For three years. Oh, my God. How's, how's you Donald done? <laughs> so that's just sort of your Chelsea career. And, you know, you've mentioned about you enjoyed your time at Chelsea. And, oh, fantastic. You know, as, yeah. Um, still love it. Still love the club. Still love uh, the players I played with. You know, supporters I see. You know, games I've come to. You know, I still... Uh, and you know Chelsea, Chelsea Football Club. Um, I don't know how many years they've been doing this now, but every Christmas, um, I get I get a Christmas hamper okay. from, the football, from the football club, and I don't know another club in the country that does anything like that. Right. And so when I tell colleagues, friends, or football fans, or whatever, I get a I get a Christmas hamper every year. They don't believe me. I said honestly, and I don't know who. You know, they can't just send it to me. Surely, I'm not. They must. They must send them out to all sorts of people. But I thought, what a fantastic gesture that is. And because they don't forget. Yeah, and in fact, behind me now in this cabinet here is my um, my wedding gift from Chelsea Football Club, which was a cheque I think for about a hundred pounds which was like probably a week's wages when I first started. And I bought this uh, dinner set, which we've had Royal, uh, not Royal Dalton, Denby. And we bought this dinner set, an eight-piece dinner set, which we still got. And that was my, or our wedding present from Chelsea Football Club. Fantastic. So I, I love the place. I want to talk about current events just to sort of uh, wrap up the interview. Okay. One sort of thing I've mentioned to all, all my guests, and some of them have been quite vocal about it. And obviously, with your position with the, you know, with, with uh, the Premier League as well, uh, Kenny, what's your thoughts on VAR? Do you, do you think it's good for the game? You know, if you see sort of seen something that you liked, something you, you perhaps did not like, what's your overall yeah. thoughts on it? Yeah, um, I've got to I've got to hold hold my counsel a little here because I think there'll be changes after the uh, the European um, events. You know, the uh, UEFA uh, European net competition this year mm. just on, and also the the feedback that they were getting from the media and the press from last season. I think there'll be um, a real sharpening up of the whole operation. I think there's no doubt, you know, it's cleared up uh, or it can clear up. It's got the power to clear up quite a few things. But I do think there are, for me, I think there are still things uh, referees should be more accountable or responsible than VAR for making certain decisions, certain decisions. So if you if you let VAR... In, in, interject too much and too often in in lots of um, situations or decisions, then I think the the joy of watching the game and the spontaneity of it is going to be lost, and so we could end up um, you, you could end up waiting for judgments. But even when the judgments are made, what will never change is the opinions. Of, of managers, coaches, and players, that will never change, and they can contest all sorts, and they can take the Mickey out of you know two millimeters on your elbow or whatever it is, but 
I, I do think it it will improve the reliability of the decision making. It will improve that. But I'm not too sure that referees have almost um they're not really arbitrators out there because I, I can see sometimes, you know, they'll um the decision won't be made and they'll wait for VAR. Do you think make, just sort of sort of on that, do you think referees are say passing the buck onto VAR? So if they say, for example, miss a decision, they would expect VAR to do it, but then there could be a, like a clash of opinions on on certain decisions. Could you do you think that could be why you know when you see certain decisions made and you think why on earth has you know VAR sort of looked into that and think thought that was a red card? It, for example, certain challenges that have been made by players last season that say a few years ago would not have been a red card, but then all of a sudden now because of the video assistant referee. Yeah they deem it as a red card because they've, say, slowed the picture down a little bit so yeah, yeah. it looks worse than it probably yeah, did yeah. Yeah. in live action. Do you think, yeah. say, referees are maybe, sort of, how can I put it, sort of rightfully blaming VAR a little bit and, say, you know, putting the, putting the responsibility too much on that technology? Yeah, I, I, I understand where you're coming from with that one. I, I don't doubt the intent of VAR all the people who work for VAR, all referees, I, I don't doubt their intent to want to make the most um, informed decision on a football field, whatever it is, whatever the incident is. You know, I think the lines, the lines bit is, is quite easy. You know, the goal line technology, uh, balls being played out of play. You know, you can you can see it most of them. Um, but if it gets too involved in too many incidents. Or too many issues, we're in danger of losing the spontaneity and the real joy of football. You know, you, I think supporters will be, and, and they've already voiced their opinions anyway. And that's why I'm, I'm, I'm holding the council. I'm, yes, of course. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty confident that what we'll see this season will be a big improvement on how it's been. Um, how it's been uh, implemented, you know, so far, hmm. and I think the European campaign just gone will be an, will be an influence on that as well. Well, fingers crossed, and hopefully, mm-hmm. as you say, people are going to start talking about the football was as in the result rather than controversy over yeah. VAR. But Kenny, just a couple of more questions before I do let you go. Want to sort of get your thoughts on the current Chelsea? European champions for the second time. Um, Tuchel's done. Tuchel, uh, I'll freely admit on the podcast, and I've said it before, I wasn't his biggest fan. I did think that he wasn't going to be a good choice for Chelsea. Mm -hmm. He's obviously proved me wrong on the European front. But what's your thoughts on the current crop of Chelsea of 2021? Uh, European champions. Can't argue with it. No, you certainly can't. You can't argue with that. Um, and that's you know I'm I'm, I'm pleased because it's that's three clubs that I've played for that have won the, the European Cup. But I think that was you know like I said back then they, they were destined for big things Chelsea, and they've sustained it. 
and I know, you know, people might say, um, you know, the owner or the board, you know, make changes, at, you know, just, just, just at will. Um, but it's not stopped a sustained um, haul of trophies and, you know, European Champions League qualifications consistently, um, other cups as well. Um, you know, I think they've, you know, they're, they're up there with the elite now, Chelsea. Just finally, Kenny, what are your thoughts? When, when you look back on your career at Chelsea, you know, how do you sort of see your career? How do I see it? Well, I think I've just been, like, a, I think I've been blessed, you know, to have started at Chelsea um, and a club and a reputation and a, you know, a culture about the place was um was a fantastic introduction, you know, into, into football for me. Um, loved every minute of it. Um, spent the best part of 10 years in London. Loved it. Still love it now. And I'm, I'm, I work as a consultant in youth and coach development now for the Premier League. And our office is still in London, in Paddington. Um, before that, it was in... Um, was important place. So, we, you know, we've been up and down. Well, I've been up and down to London now, working for the FA as well for about the last 15 years. So I've never really left London. <laughs> I mean, I played at, played at Villa and played at uh, Forest and gone down to Portsmouth. But I've always returned to, a bit like Liverpool, to be honest, because I, I, I love going back to Liverpool mm-hmm. and I love going back to London. But London's never really left us. And I think to have had that opportunity... And the other the opportunities that followed, I never I never look back and think, well, what happens if this or what happens if that? You know, if that door had opened, you know, this one would have closed. And I just feel uh, just feel blessed that I've had you know the opportunities and the experiences that I've um, that I've acquired up up, up to now. <laughs> well, and I'm still, I'm still I'm still in love with it. Well. I'm pleased that I've been able to have you on the podcast today, Kenny. It's been a fantastic insight into your career and obviously your thoughts on certain matters. So just want to say thank you once again, Kenny, for being part of the podcast. And hopefully once the fans are back, full stadiums, you know, we'll be able to see you at the bridge one day. Yeah, I will, you know, for sure. And I think um, that's the thing about football, isn't it? It's, you know... It's nothing without 20,000, 30,000, 50,000, 80,000. Football's nothing without crowds. Absolutely. Completely agree with that. Kenny, f- thank All you right. very much, and we'll speak to you soon. That's great. And my regards, healthy fans. Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network.